0: Hello, and welcome to Prescription Advocacy. I'm Arielle Troster.
1: And I'm Dr. Neely Kaplan-Murse.
0: And wow, today was a big day in our house because uh, after an extended winter break, uh, my daughter got to go back to school. That was exciting.
1: It was, but we had to pack lunches. That was stressful. <laughs> uh,
0: I know, and I like didn't even know where her bag was because she'd been out of school for six weeks or something. Anyway, we found it. But yeah, and you know... So my daughter came home and was completely unfazed and I was really worried that it would be a burden because she's in grade three. So now she has to wear her mask all the time, even outside at recess. And she said it was no big deal, which goes to show the children uh, have got it together.
1: They absolutely do. We we always knew that kids could do whatever we asked them to if, uh, if it's just necessary, right? So, yep.
0: I know. But I mean, you know, I've been doing some media about this. It's not like much has changed in the schools, so it's going to be interested to see with the new variants circulating. Today, the education minister announced that there would be some asymptomatic testing in schools, so I don't know, fingers crossed. Right now, everything else is closed except schools, so let's hope that keeps on until we crush the curve again, and hopefully people can get vaccinated, but what a mess.
1: So the episode that we're introducing today is one that we recorded just more than a week ago, because we've been so busy with everything else, and it's quite timely to to introduce Amy Varley and Sarah Fung, two nurses who have their own podcast, Gritty Nurse, which is very successful. Uh, but talking about talking about the um, work on the front line and the exhaustion and the need for advocacy is something that has been um, in the news a lot lately
0: yeah and i I'm sure that you can relate as a doctor who's doing this extra shift uh doing advocacy and taking some flack for it too sometimes
1: yeah yeah well when when Brian Goldman had the the white coat black art episode this weekend about you know how how there's been pushback against doctors, I was thinking myself, yeah, I mean there could be the same episode about pushback against nurses and I saw comments from other people. You know, people who have work that it that is less secure. They're particularly vulnerable if they speak up. Right? They they can lose their jobs, and they don't have unions, and they don't have any way to uh, to protect themselves. So there's a lot of shutting down of advocacy. And Amy and Sarah decided that they didn't that they that they weren't going to be bullied into silence. And I mean. Ariel, that's what you and I have been doing too, and lots of lots of people. But um, but we have a little bit of privilege because we we know at least we hope <laughs> that we you know we won't lose our jobs or or be be uh, unduly uh, punished for for what we say.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, nurses can be extremely vulnerable to their employers, and what we're seeing now too um, are, with workplace outbreaks happening across the country. Is that so many people without a guarantee of paid sick leave, without a guarantee of a job to go back to, uh, are, are being bullied into silence. And if anything, we need more people speaking up. So I was really glad to speak to Amy and Sarah and uh, really excited to speak to more people this year in our uh, 2021 season of Prescription Advocacy
1: yeah so with that, we'll we'll leave the intro and lead into our conversation with Sarah and Amy. Welcome. Thank you so much for having us.
2: Howdy, Howdy?
1: <laughs> so you have your own very successful podcast, and really, prescription advocacy is about women who are um, passionate about what they do speaking out so maybe we can start with you telling our listeners a little bit about your own podcast and why you became advocates
2: all right maybe i'll start and then i'll let sarah kind of jump in so um we started the gritty nurse podcast uh, about a year ago and um of course, we're called the Green nurses and we, our tagline is that it's an unfiltered discussion related to health and healthcare. Again, like we say, we shy away from nothing. All topics are on the table for us, but we do have our main focuses. So we do focus on social justice. We do focus on women's health and women's rights. We do focus on mental health awareness and we focus on also, um, I guess, bringing more awareness to what nurses do and the nursing profession. But in terms of why we just started, why we decided to start this podcast is because actually Sarah and I both had um issues with bullying and with silencing within our work. So we had had enough and we said, you know what? We're tired of being silenced. We're tired of seeing women being silenced and we're going to have this kind of call to action where we're going to talk about the issues that mean the most to us and we're going to talk about it with grit and with passion.
3: Mm-hmm. I think Amy covered a lot of what I was going to say, but also I think the journey for us has been really interesting because we started this podcast with no real expectations. And I think it's grown into this thing that really it's a platform for us to advocate for all sorts of people who don't have a voice. So as Amy mentioned, we're all about diversity, mental health, uh, women of color. We want to highlight issues with um, you know people that have disabilities. And I think it's really just about having the conversation and in elevating the profession of nursing. We feel that um, in our journey so far, we really want to be trailblazers in that. And it's been really interesting because we started out sort of not knowing where we would go and we've met so many great people along the way. and. You know, nurses just feel a lot of the time, they're very afraid to speak out. So this is something that we really want to um, emphasize is it's really difficult for a lot of nurses to speak out. They're often afraid of being fired. They're afraid of negative ramifications. And so, you know, what Amy and I always say is if we don't create the narrative for nursing, someone is going to do it for us. And in the media, you can see all these stereotypes of nursing, there's like the sexy nurse, there's a nurse ratchet, you know, and we really would just want to show how diverse nurses can be and that we are leaders. And by us being out here on our podcast and in the media, we are showing uh, others what we can do.
0: Well, that's very exciting and very much in line with uh, the podcast that Neely and I started. We started this uh, sort of off the side of our desks at the beginning of the pandemic, when we both realized that we were doing a ton of advocacy and uh, didn't really have a place to put it all and started hearing from women from across Canada on social media and wanted to really give a voice to people who are doing this work and maybe didn't have the platform. So I'm curious though, cause you started this podcast about a year ago and then the pandemic happened. Um, I'm really interested in hearing from both of you, what your nursing working life has been like during the pandemic compared to <laughs> beforehand, along with the elusive work-life balance, which uh, I hear a child in the background, no shade. I did my job <laughs> at the same time as grade three today. So I hear you.
2: So, I mean, in terms of kind of some of the challenges that we faced, it's similar to yours. So like in my current role as a quality patient safety specialist, a lot of my work would be involved in working in the emergency departments, helping with quality initiatives. I was actually going to be starting up a, a STEMI working group where we're looking at really reducing some, uh, I guess, uh, meeting provincial standards. So it would have been a lot of brutes on the groundwork. But obviously, um, with the pandemic and then with outbreaks and whatnot other things that have happened a lot of us have been kind of sequestered to either work from home or not even to come in to do any of the work that we'd really be doing so um most of the work that i've been doing is i've been doing a lot of work from home but in terms of my nursing advocacy and my work that is still alive and kicking like that's not going to change we're involved in a lot of various different social groups in terms of making sure our, our voices are heard and um those troops don't really die down. <laughs> I don't think. I think really through the pandemic, they've actually the voices act, actually have only gotten louder. So, Sarah and I have kind of taken it upon ourselves to make sure that we continue to amplify those those voices, even though we may not be able to be boots on the ground at this time.
3: Yeah. And in terms of what I do right now, I work in community care. So I work as a professional practice specialist, which is sort of like an educator um, and project manager for nurses at my organization. And everything has kind of been turned upside down in terms of what we do. So previous to the pandemic, I was supposed to be the infection prevention and control lead. So you can imagine how much... uh, that has changed over the course of the year. So before, I felt like I was sort of preaching to everyone to always wash their hands and pick up PPE. And there's been so many projects that have spun out of that. And even just going back to nursing, the spotlight was already on nursing at the beginning of the year because this was, or I guess last year, um, 2020 was supposed to be the year of the nurse and the midwife. So that narrative totally changed because it became, instead of something that we celebrated, it was something that we had to fight for. So in terms of getting the right PPE, in terms of um, being trained appropriately, you know, appropriate workloads and safety, um, it really just sort of blew the lid off of a lot of ongoing issues in nursing. In particular, um, just having the right training and the right staffing ratios, I think, was something that we really had to fight for during the pandemic. And even with the second wave, a lot of the issues remained unresolved. And we're dealing with A lot of attrition. So, in terms of nurses retiring early, leaving the profession entirely, deciding they don't want to go into nursing school, we're really struggling here. With the nurses that are remaining, there are lots of uh, mental health issues they're facing and continue to face. And I think there's a lot that needs to be done still on that front.
1: I know that early in the pandemic, when I was writing my first articles, I reached out to some nurses across Canada. They, I don't think that um, this was even somebody in Ontario. I think she might've been in Alberta, but when the, the nursing colleague that I spoke with, um, you know, she, she wrote how, how horrible uh, conditions were in her workplace. She said that I could, I could quote her, but I couldn't use her name because she was worried about ramifications at her workplace. And I know that, I mean, like as a family doctor who works on my own and not being representative of an organization, it's easy for me to be gritty. Although I've paid the price a little bit for speaking up online, but, um, but you know, there's uh, a freedom and, and I'm protected from bullies in my own workplace. I'm not necessarily protected from bullies out there in social media or, or, you know, the world more generally, but, um, But I imagine it must be like that dynamic that you described that sort of propelled you to or compelled you to start your podcast, the bullying and um, the being intimidated, I'm sure, by doctors as well as by administration and others. Um, That's something that is so deeply ingrained in part of the gender bias and racism and just all the all the discrimination that happens in in hospitals do you feel like you are able to reach colleagues like to actually you know voice the the kinds of conditions that they're up against right now or do you feel do you feel like people are are still afraid to speak
2: well maybe i'll kind of start with that and then sarah just feel free to jump in i think um in terms of our platform so like us having a podcast has really been able to give other nurses that voice because i can tell you there is a culture of silencing in nursing and there's this huge fear and i know people might be like oh no she's gonna say it here's here's amy being gritty there's a huge fear of reprisal and being reprimanded by the college of nurses in terms of speaking out but the thing is i think people have to know what their rights are And one of the things I actually had urged one of my colleagues to do was I was like, you know what, why don't you go on the College of Nurses website and see who has actually been penalized for speaking about things that they might have seen or their own personal expressions or their own views on on how what's happening in healthcare? And I was like, There there isn't any. But there is just this ingrained fear that if we speak out that we're gonna get in trouble or we're gonna get our, our wrist slapped or whatever the case may be and i think as long this is one of the principles that sarah and i really live by we believe that if you are honest you're transparent um we're not we're not bringing any falsehoods we're not talking any pseudoscience we're just telling people what our opinion is and how we see things And I don't think there's anything wrong with doing that. Of course, people may disagree with what we're saying, but I think at the end of the day, I think it's important to have a conversation and to say something. I'd rather say something than not. So like, for example, we just have had MLK Day. And so for me, it's really significant to not be silent because that period of time where I was silenced, it was more painful to hold all that information in and hold all those feelings down than, than to say, I, I don't like what's happening to me and I need to speak out about it. Or I need to seek someone else for help th- about it, right? Like, I think there's where that mental health aspect came in. And I think it's better when we talk. I think it's so important to have conversations, even if you're disagreeing. Like, it's it's okay if we disagree. But as long as we can have a respectful discourse, it's important to have those, that, those types of conversations. So I continue to to reach out to my colleagues to say hey you know speak up on these things but again they kind of circle back to us and say hey (laughs) can you guys say it instead and we're just like okay we'll say it but you know we continue to like we just did an episode talking about like what are your social media do's and don'ts what does our college say what what's Private versus professional, and I think um the more they see examples, so they see some people like ourselves or they see Sarah and myself having a podcast and having these conversations, the more empowered they'll feel to start um lending their own voice and experiences as well.
0: Well, that's yeah, and
3: I, sorry, I think one of the challenges is that there are no role models for for nurses, right? So. Prior to Amy and I starting this podcast, especially in Canada, there really are no nursing podcasts that are um, kind of doing what we're doing, where we talk about issues that nobody wants to talk about. We release regular content. A lot of what nurses see are just um, their unions or their regulatory bodies taking a stance on issues. But I mean, they're sort of protected by the organization. They don't see sort of standalone nurses like Amy and I trying to push the agenda and you know, talk about things that people really care about. So I think it's just lack of adequate representation. And this is something that I don't think is emphasized enough in nursing school throughout our training, how to be, I mean, we learn how to advocate for patients, but we don't learn how to advocate for ourselves. And so I think that sort of goes in hand with how nurses are taught to care for others, but we often fail to um,
0: take care of ourselves. Wow. Um, I, I see on our Skype window, Neely nodding her head, who's also been incredibly outspoken in a way that a lot of other family doctors are not. Um, So as two people who have been asked to become mouthpieces on behalf of people who may not be able to speak publicly, what are you hearing from nurses about their experience during this pandemic and the outstanding issues that they are having? Because uh, we've spoken a lot here about the false and dangerous narrative of healthcare heroism really any essential worker heroism, instead of actually giving workers the support they need, just holding them up as heroes, but not giving them pandemic pay. Um, we've spoken a lot about long-term care. Um, so yeah, just lay it on us. I'm really curious to hear what, what the pulse that you're getting from across the country right now. I imagine nurses are very tired.
2: <laughs> I think tired's probably an understatement. I mean, I never want to say that, you know. Broadly speaking, we're speaking for everybody. We like we do see comments. We do see uh, themes that emerge, and I'll speak to some of the themes that we do see. So one, yeah, they're completely exhausted. They're burnt out like we do see a lot of nurses saying that like when this pandemic is over like nursing is not the career that they're going to stay in like i'm pretty certain that there are certain nurses that are i've seen nurses talking about um moving to the states which i don't know is a better plan but i mean there are some that are talking about going south of the border or so i guess it would be yeah more south south of the border in terms of pay and maybe um different types of treatment um the mental health toll, I think, is a huge aspect in terms of what we're seeing, and I don't think I don't think people really understand how bad it is. Like, I I know that physicians they have their their part too, but I feel that they're still they get away from it a little bit more, right? Like, it, with the nurse being there for the eleven point two five, so intimately with that patient, and especially if they're they're working in that high stress, high critical environment, it's really stressful and. I don't think the the public really understands how bad it is. And it's disheartening when we see that, you know, we have these public health regulations and people aren't really following them. So I think I, I had mentioned uh just a couple days ago where I was listening to um my son's grade three class as they were online talking about, you know, like what did people do for the weekend? And you're hearing people talking about, oh, you know, I went for a sleepover or I had a play date or whatever. And it's just for people who are working the front lines, I think them hearing things like that is really, really stressful. So I think that um, those are two things that I can speak to. But I'm sure Sarah can kind of pick up on a couple other things as well.
3: Yeah, I was sort of thinking about this question, like what keeps nurses up at night? And I think from the beginning, it's been, of course getting covid and bringing it home to their families so a lot of healthcare workers go through this ritual where the minute they get home you know they strip off all their clothes they go for a shower they dump their clothes in the laundry but it's this lingering fear that you have constantly that you are going to get covid and you're going to bring it home to your family so this is a risk that we take every single day and i just read something online yesterday actually that um Someone on social media had polled a large group of people, and 80% of nurses said that they're suffering from some sort of mental health issues, but only 18% of them have sought any sort of help. So again, I think it's just bringing it back to the fact that everybody is suffering, but either we're not seeking the help we need, or maybe the resources there are stretched so thin that there's not a lot that can be offered. So I think that it's really important just to keep that in mind, is that the issues with mental health, we don't even know kind of what they're going to be because everybody's still immersed into this pandemic. Um, I know some nurses are screaming with frustration that like Amy said, we continue to see people breaking the recommendations and the guidelines and here we are down on the ground, doing everything we can. We're losing patients to COVID every day. And then we see people having parties down the street. And it's like, what do we need to do to make them understand what's happening? And then on top of that, we're dealing with people that think it's a pandemic. We're dealing with anti-maskers. We're dealing with anti-vaxxers. Um, it's just so much, I think, that we're just physically and mentally overwhelmed. And on, I guess the last thing I wanted to touch on is the whole uh, sick pay. So the fact that um, back in the summer, at least, if a nurse were to get sick with COVID, if they were part-time or casual, they weren't even guaranteed anything. They weren't even gonna get paid. And I know there are some programs in place now, but there's a lot of red tape in order to access some of those. There's waiting periods. So it's not really, um, it's not perfect. So there's a lot that could be improved on that front too.
2: Yeah, and I I wanna quickly jump in before you guys ask the next question, because I know if we don't mention this, nurses will have our head on some of those social media platforms. Um, definitely, some of the bills that came into play politically um, with Doug Ford being in power, so Bill 124 and Bill 218, I think won the reward of less than one um, percent. Really hurt nurses. Um, they felt that they were working really hard through the pandemic during all this time. They're talking about like clap for healthcare workers, healthcare workers, healthcare heroes. All of this pots and pans being, but. Um, less than 1% pay increase for the next three years. So I think that was a real slap in the face for nursing when we saw like firefighters, police, various other professionals, them actually having at least cost of living wage increases. So I think wage increases were, were a huge one. And then also the, the bill that now says, you know, um, d- during a pandemic, a nurse can actually be re- relocated to working in a very, in a different capacity. So I think the fear surrounding, you know, like, like let's say you're a med surg nurse and now they're going to pull you to the ICU. Typically we have, times where, you know, like if, if there was going to be that type of change, like ICU nurses do specialty training, or they might have a course that they've done, or they might have like six to eight weeks orientation. Well, maybe during a pandemic, that's not the case. So there's a lot of new nurses or nurses who haven't worked in those roles that are really scared that, you know, they're going to p- be put into that position. So that's another piece too.
1: That was definitely one of my fears last spring when, um when the Ministry of Health was saying to doctors, that we could be kind of, you know, pulled into hospitals to work in roles that we, you know, haven't trained for since maybe medical school, right? So as a Mm -hmm. family doctor, I do not have the skills to go and work in an ICU. And one of my colleagues, Jillian Horton, Dr. Horton um, is um, a specialist in Manitoba. And she wrote an article about how there's this expectation that we'll be martyrs, that we'll go and work on the front lines and that, um, that our own safety doesn't matter. And, and then there's a sense of guilt when we don't do that. When we say, you know what, actually I'm needed in primary care and this is where I should be working. I need to be seeing the babies and I need to be seeing the geriatric patients. And, um, this is, I'm keeping people out of the hospital, but the idea, like that's part and parcel of the idea of our being heroes is that we'll be, willing to be thrown into situations that are absolutely unsafe for us and put our families in danger and 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 so on um i'm curious about mental health care because i know that in medicine we have to renew our licenses every year and part of that is that we have to declare whether or not we've had any mental health issues and so doctors can't talk about their own mental health issues because if they do they are penalized by regulatory bodies and I mean and we also we, we're we not unionized so we don't have benefits so we don't have sick leave so we don't have uh, we also don't have private insurance to see psychologists and like there are so many things that are barriers to our even talking about our mental health care and I know like we've got the highest suicide rates and um, part of that is that we we can't access that care but I'm curious about nursing because I know that when my own patients who are nurses come to me and they say, that's it. I'm burned out. I need time off. I can write them letters and they can get that time off, but I don't know what happens behind the scenes. If then, like in medicine, if you take time off, then your colleagues, uh, get mad at you because if you work in the emerge and you take time off, you've just made somebody else work harder, right? They have to pick up your shifts. What happens in nursing? If you, if you say, uh, yeah, no, you're burned out or you're sick for any other reason. Um, like, is there stigma within nursing to, to saying that you're struggling with your mental health or? That's a really good question. Um,
3: So for my experience, um, Amy and I talked about how we were bullied at our previous place of employment. I tried to go, and I say try, I tried to go on stress leave. I actually was completely burned out. I was having an emotional breakdown. I went to my physician and said, I need time off work. I can't do this anymore. And so he wrote me a note, but that was just the beginning of my struggles because it was a back and forth between myself and management and occupational health. And long story short, they wouldn't give me the time off and they wouldn't pay me because I didn't have a quote unquote diagnosis. And I wasn't on enough medication for them to basically pay me for being off. So I think there's a lot of issues. And actually, I'm glad that you brought up the issues that physicians face, because I never thought about the fact that you don't have your own insurance and that you don't have access to these things, which is a shame, because you're providing the care to so many patients, and yet you don't get to access a lot of the care that you need. But just speaking on nurses, I mean, we do, a lot of us have access through hospitals to something called the Employee Assistance Program. So it's, you know, they can call into a confidential line and speak to a psychologist or a counselor and get that sort of help. Um, But I feel like just anecdotally, the uptake is quite low because uh, Amy and I used to conduct debriefs after critical situations or codes. And we always mentioned this uh, service, but I really don't think nurses often took us up on it and I'm not sure why that is like if it's because of the stigma or because they don't really know what the value is in talking to someone they don't know maybe they've never tried it before so I mean we do have we do have some resources but people just aren't accessing them for whatever reason and I think that it's something that needs more uh, conversation for sure.
2: Yeah and I think the the type of like where you work really determines how much coverage that you might have. Like some places have like $250 worth of coverage, which will get you to see maybe one psychologist to like two appointments and then done. Right. Some places have five, some places have much more. Right. So I think that's one part is the the coverage. Like one of the things I would love to advocate is we should have some form of a standardized um, mental health coverage that, you know, We know that at least you need six to eight sessions to actually move anything, like move the needle if you're really depressed at all in like also having some form of like medical treatment as well. So the fact that, you know, there are some places that have coverage that's $250, like you're not going to get your really much help anyways. Um, So that's one piece. And I think the other piece is nurses are really good at talking to each other about their issues. But when it comes to bearing it all, um and and seeking help I feel like we take that burden on ourselves like we should be we're the we're the ones taking care of others so we tend to really forget about ourselves until you know crap really hits the fan and then like you know you are at that point where you're like I I can't sleep I can't eat I, I can't go to work um and then the last piece that I'd want to touch on is workplaces do a really bad job of this <laughs> if you want me to be honest if I going through my own mental health crisis when I was actually um, looking at getting some support from my organization at the time, um, all of the forms that they had were all functional based. So like, what is physically wrong with you? Well, my arm's not broken. It, my, my my mind is broken. And there was no place on those forms. And even when I sat down with my family physician, she's like, this is ludicrous. Like, why aren't workplaces making sure that they're accounting for mental health crisis or mental health stress? And that's because I feel like not even just at a hospital level but at a provincial level at a federal level it's still not even recognized i, I looked at through some of the wsib definitions like it's almost impossible to get off work for mental health stress and it's something and just because it does you don't feel it you can't see like you know do an x-ray and see it doesn't mean it's not there so i think we have a long way to go in terms of making this better because i feel like after this pandemic during this pandemic it's going to be a nightmare i think
0: Well, people are certainly having mental health struggles now. I think a lot of us are in survival mode, and I can only imagine that healthcare workers are teetering on the edge, but are still very much, uh, you know, working with whatever little adrenaline is left. But um, from the little that I know about trauma, uh, often the impact is after the storm has passed, and so uh, I worry about our mental health care system's ability to help any of us who have been struggling, because I think there's going to be a real tidal wave when things uh, feel just a little bit safer, because that's when we can all unclench a little bit, right? So yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. I, I know it's really tough for, for people who are leaders in medical fields uh, to talk about their own mental health. And that's something we've really been encouraging on this podcast.
2: Yeah, I think I've just kind of gotten to the point where it's just like, you know what, I for me, it, it doesn't help to, to hold back because I know that if I felt like this, there's at least hundreds of other people that feel the same way. They just don't have the ability or the 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 strength at the time to say it. So if I can help one extra person to say, you know what, I can empathize with what Amy's saying, what Sarah's saying, or whomever else, like I think if I can help one person I'm 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 happy. So
1: You know, it's um funny because until recently i wasn't part of any facebook groups of other doctors uh and then i was introduced to the canadian women in medicine group and then there's an ontario one now and um in medicine and and this i guess would be different from nursing but in medicine it's a very lonely world where it's it's male dominated around you and um all of a sudden there there are these groups and kind of the women in them refer to it as like, you know, welcome to the hive. And there's this wonderful support. And I was just thinking and speaking to the two of you that the thing that's missing is it's not cross profession, right? Like there, it would be so nice if there were, and maybe there is, because like I said, I mean, I'm, I'm just not up to date on all of these things, but um, all the things that we talk about um, privately as women physicians in these groups um, would also be, Uh, the kinds of things that we could be speaking to nurses about and other Mm -hmm. allied healthcare professionals, right? Like, it's not secret medical business. It's literally just talking about um, our lives as women and healthcare providers.
3: Mm -hmm. That is such a good idea because Amy and I are part of quite a few nursing Facebook groups, just trying to understand what the issues are and let people know about our podcast. And I haven't come across any that are actually interdisciplinary, come to think of it. Amy, I don't know if you have, but this is something that I think is really needed because like like we talk about in the hospital all the time, interprofessional teams, right? But how do we actually do that in real life? And I think just having the space to talk about issues would be really, really valuable.
2: No, I agree. and And if I think about it, I actually haven't seen any either. And I think that we work together we should have a pretty good understanding of what our issues are because we work with each other and it is surprising to think that you know we don't have those types of groups and i think if if i'm gonna speak frankly i think it's because there's that division right so physicians are over here nurses are over here And, and we, you know, outside of that, we just, we keep everything separate. And I don't think we have to do that. I don't think we need to have everything in these tidy little boxes. I think that if we are all suffering the same affliction, why not work together to see what we could do differently?
1: So, yeah,
2: maybe it's something you should look into.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I don't, I don't even, I don't even know how um, it could be done other than creating yet another group, but it's um, just to have some kind of, uh, crossover just like we're having today on our conversation (laughs) but you know with a larger a larger group of people yeah food for for thought
0: well thank you so much for being with us it's it's a real pleasure
1: thank you both very very much for joining us and um and your podcast is amazing and we're honored to have you on our podcast today
2: guys thank you (laughs) you we're happy admiration club Yes. Oh, you yeah. guys are so funny. We're we're so happy to partner with anybody. We're happy to partner with you. And actually, it's so funny, um, Nilly, um, when we first met, we actually met because someone was actually bullying you. And I reached out and I was like, screw that person. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how we connected. So I mean, I'm more than happy to, yeah. to extend that helping hand and to give some extra wise words if I can and, and um, partner with whomever. So let's just work together and
1: get the word out and see if we can make a change. It is the best, the best and maybe only positive thing that's come about in this pandemic, I think, is meeting all these amazing people. And yes, take care, you guys. Take care. Have a great so evening. Yes, Thank you so much. much.
0: You've been listening to Prescription Advocacy, co-hosted by Dr. Neely Kaplan-Mirth and Ariel Troster, produced by Alana Stewart you can visit us on Twitter at rxadvocacy or on our website at rxadvocacy.ca, where you'll find links to the people that we spoke with and the information that they provided and also a full list of credits. Thank you for listening.